This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The collapse of Bernard L. Madoff Investment Securities is only the latest incident to diminish trust on Wall Street. The implosion of the subprime mortgage market and destruction of major financial institutions so diminished the faith of investors last year that credit markets came to a grinding halt, triggering a global recession for which there is still no end in sight. In an interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Professors Maurice E. Schweitzer and G. Richard Schell, who have conducted extensive research on the role of trust in markets, explains why even the most sophisticated investors put their faith in Madoff and the damage done to the broader market by the breach of their trust. Dr. Schweitzer, why is it that even sophisticated investors are are being snookered in Ponzi schemes still? I think the the Madoff scandal is a story about Several powerful influence principles working in concert. These are textbook principles. And in this case, uh, you have four key principles. One is scarcity, where investors were told the fund is closed, but maybe I can get you in. It was exclusive, and there were some clients that got fired. The second key principle is authority, where here Madoff was somebody who in 1990 was the chair of NASDAQ. He pioneered electronic trading. He was a board member. He had this air of authority. And we know from the Milgram experiments and other studies that the authority authority figures exert a huge amount of influence over us. Uh, Third, social proof. Everyone's doing it. Uh, From the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority to Lion Capital of Singapore to Steven Spielberg, the owner of the New York Mets, you look around and everybody else is investing here, and it seems like a reasonable thing to do. Uh, and fourth, the liking principle. We're influenced by people that we like, and here's social networks, meetings in country clubs, at charity events. This is what brought people in. So you have in concert these four classic influence principles working together. And on the other hand, you have motivated reasoning. You have these investors that want to believe. They want to believe that they can earn the 10 11% interest uh, like clockwork. So they're willing to suspend their disbelief. And, and I think we fail to realize how powerful all of these factors are when they work together. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Schell, um, if the allegations against Madoff are true, this scheme lived longer than most Ponzi schemes. How is he able to sustain this? Well, I think uh, there was a failure of regulation that seems to be getting explored in Congress now. And um, I think that this particular uh, scheme was remarkable in that the con artists conned the regulators as well as their investors. And I think uh, Maurice's point about uh, the authority that this fellow had is partly responsible for that because he's one of them. I mean, when you've been the head of the NASDAQ, uh, you're inside the tent as far as the regulatory uh, group is concerned. And it's very difficult when there are no uh, outward invisible signs of fraud to uh, to pick this up. And then it built on itself so that years passed, it became more, more and more credible. Uh, I think that in hindsight, it looks easy to spot because it was a secret formula. He didn't reveal it to anybody. And uh, and there were quite a number of people who decided not to play because they couldn't see behind the veil of where the money was coming from. And they look pretty smart now. But when you're doing this 
prospectively and you have this opportunity, uh, they look like the suckers. They look like the people who are being overly prudent and, um, and the smart money is getting involved. So I think the, the, the length of this one has something to do with the fact that he was able to con the regulatory system at the same time he was conning the investors. And that's a, that's a double whammy that's really hard to pull off over a period of time and over many different markets. And was he not also getting some help from the performance of the market at the time when, when he was doing well, those operations? He, yeah, at, at different periods at that time mm-hmm. because the markets went up, the markets went down. He survived the, the bubble, the dot-com bubble, okay. Uh, it, I mean, the, the things that seem so obvious now, he was, he was reporting to his customers more options being traded than, than for a given customer than were traded in the entire day of the day that he was purporting to be trading these. It seems so clear in hindsight, but, uh, but people weren't sharing their reports with each other. Uh, and as Maurice said again, this sort of desire to believe um, can be very, very strong, and you don't want to take in the evidence that contradicts your belief because it requires you to undo so many assumptions about what your life is about and who you're hanging out with that it's just cognitively and emotionally too high a price to pay. So you just get the report and put it in your desk and forget about it. There Are there ways, though, to um, overcome that instinct for investors um, are there specific steps that people should be taking to protect themselves from this kind of disaster? Uh, I think there are, there's some classic ideas here. One is um, this sort of the basic principle of diversification, that some of the investors clearly forgot this point when they put all their eggs in one basket. Um, and clearly, we should be diversi- diversifying our portfolios. The second is, uh, you know, Richard Shell mentioned, is uh, oversight, where you have examples of investment managers like the manager of GMAC who charge fees to others to dump money with Madoff with no oversight. Uh, and the third is to check for flags where, you know, sometimes when returns are too good to be true, they're too good to be true. Uh, Richard Tell mentioned the lack of transparency. I completely agree with that point. And, you know, the lack of independent auditing, which is so important. It's easy to get swept up with this, swept up with the crowd and everything else. Um, but there are these, again, basic principles we should be following. No, uh, no scam or Ponzi scheme ever existed without greed. And um, even Benjamin Franklin, the founder of our great university, when he was returning to the America to uh, take up his residence here in Philadelphia and, and, and uh, do all the great things that he did, he wrote a note to himself on the boat coming back, four principles to live by for life. And one of them was, do not get taken in by any get-rich-quick schemes. So this was 1760. Uh, I think that we can say that this impulse to do better than the market and to do it in a way that uh, will take care of your financial problem, whether it's all at once, which is the usual Ponzi scheme, you get 100% return, or over a longer period of time, but nevertheless in a way that doesn't mimic the way real markets work, which is what Madoff had, that that impulse is something to be very, very significantly wary of in yourself and to uh, and to uh, really uh, get used to the fact that there's risk mm-hmm. and get used to the fact that uh, work is probably what's going to create wealth. 
uh, more often than uh, financial investments. Still, the, at the at the underlying all of this is is the sense of trust, and in, in the most transparent investment, it still requires the investor to uh, have a level of trust um, uh, with with whoever the investor is is doing business with. Are the markets going to be harmed because of this? I think in so. In terms of a level of trust, a- a- absolutely. I mean, there's uh, there's a contingent process where you have. You have other investors that now they're going to be much less trusting of legitimate, honest hedge fund managers and investment managers. There's going to be a lack of liquidity, so the, the markets are going to get harmed by this. Well, the 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 real tragedy in this one is that there are a whole set of intermediaries who were legitimate financial advisors, as far as we know, but who took money. Uh, that was invested with them with the assumption that they was going to be diversified and put it all into the Madoff operation. And so uh, so you have two levels of distrust that have just been created. One is with this sort of, you know, hedge fund uh, type model that Madoff was running. And I think pretty much everybody's a little skeptical of hedge funds in general anyway because of the way the markets have turned out. But the the more difficult thing to figure out how it's how we're going to get over it is these intermediaries Tremont Capital you know people who for all intents and purposes are legitimate um, managers of money and people in good faith gave them that money and and then without being told had all their money put into this Ponzi scheme and uh, so how do you know which financial advisor you're going to be able mm-hmm. to trust going forward. I mean, I think there are even brands involved that are pretty respectable under the most, you know, the average person's frame of reference. So um, I think it's a blow mm-hmm. to the, the average investor's confidence that when they um, give money to a financial advisor that they're going to get it back. And as you said before, it, uh, the ways to make money often involve work. Uh, and so um, even even you want to trust but verify when you go into one of these, any kind of an investment. So you have to actually pay attention uh, to the uh, progress of your investment and see real documentation, which requires more than just well, filing away the reports. I think, we can, I think we can take a lesson from a few of the people that didn't invest mm-hmm. in Madoff. And Ben Stein wrote a column in the New York Times uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was approached – to invest with Madoff. And I think he did what a good process. He engaged in a good process. Uh, he's a pretty smart guy. This was 20 years ago that he had this opportunity. But he took the opportunity. He, he presented it uh, to two sophisticated advisors and asked them to give their opinions on whether he should make this investment. And they both looked at it. And since they had no interest their own, so they weren't financial advisors, they were just people giving an opinion, they said, this looks like it's too good to be true. I can't figure out how it could possibly work the way it's supposed to work. So I'd stay away from it. And so he did. So I think that's a pretty good model is to, is to get financial advice, but not, not from interested parties. Don't rely exclusively on the advisor, but look for second opinions the same way you would for a medical problem. And I think the chances of you're getting taken in by one of these might go down if you are looking um, uh, for uh, for a more diversification, not just in the assets, but in the advice. I mean, I, I think 
I think one of the long-term harms from this process is is clearly this need for oversight and second opinions. It's a cost on the system. It's it's drag and it's clearly necessary. Trust is is like lubrication. It it, it makes transactions easier, faster, cheaper. It fuels the economy so we can trade. And we've lost some of that trust. And so now our costs are going to go up. There's more friction as we have to do more due diligence. I I think that's necessary and clearly was necessary before this. Um, So, you know, perhaps the silver lining is that we're going to get back to these basic principles of oversight and diversification. Mm -hmm. Even before this, with the subprime problems, a lot of trust was... Yeah, we lost burned. We had burned. We had burned a lot of trust in the last three months. Right in the uh, West, not just in America, but in the whole Western capitalistic model. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's no surprise that at the end of the day, the irony here is that a Republican administration in the United States has just um, basically um, been the uh, the the catalyst for uh, the Europeanization of the American financial markets. And it's not going to change. It's we're 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 now in a European uh, situation for the financial markets. There are no more investment banks, and um, and that that is a different model altogether. It's not as freewheeling, and I think um, you know we've been burned, and it's going to be a while before people are able to kind of get themselves back into the mood to be taking risks. But you know, to Maurice's point. Um, there's no way that any social system can work without trust. So we're still going to have to trust each other somehow. And the interesting question is going to be what institutions will arise that will allow us to do that. I think the rating agencies are going to change. Uh, the way uh, stocks and investments are evaluated will change. Uh, the transparency levels will change. Um, but the average person uh, who's got money to invest, I think, is going to have to be a little more uh, vigilant looking out for their own interests. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.